Please open your Bibles to Ephesians 5. It's found on page 1176 of your Red Bibles. We'll begin with verse 1 and read through verse 14. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it says, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord. Before I read our text from the Proverbs, these selected passages... Uh, let me just say this, that uh, when we read the Proverbs, especially the first what, 11 chapters of the Proverbs, we are kind of overhearing counsel from a father to his young adult married son, right? Now, not all of us are young adult married sons here, but the Bible nevertheless is for us and it's inspired and it's meant to serve each of us in whatever our condition. So whether you're an older man or a younger man, an older woman or a young, younger woman, married, not married, uh, this book is for you and these Proverbs are for you. And I want you to think not so much of an old Hebrew man mentoring a young Hebrew man, that's part of it, but think of the Lord Jesus as our mentor this morning. And we get to be the young woman or young man that's learning at his feet together. And so with that spirit, I'll ask you to just patiently hear what the Lord Jesus is teaching us. This is counseling, a counseling session, if you like, on how to be wise and how to be wise with our bodies and our sexuality even um, as followers of Jesus. So let's begin and you can follow along here with our Proverbs selections on the theme of chastity or uh, uh, sexual holiness. First, some Proverbs from chapter 9. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house, 
on a high seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. What does she call out? Verse 16. Let all who are simple, simple kind of means foolish or not all with it up here, um, come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But then the father says, but little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Then back in chapter five, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. And then one from chapter 11. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Hebrew Proverbs are poetry. And so I thought that it might be appropriate to also have a short section of a contemporary poet, this one from um, my friend Aaron Bells, who just published a new book, and he has a funny but deep short poem, part of which goes like this. It's called Advice to Children. Advice to Children. Are you ready? Children, do not talk to strangers. If you must, make sure they at least have candy and that it is good candy. This is the way of the world. If strangers have candy or money, you talk to them and you try to get some. Some for yourself. Candy, money, glory. If a, stranger, if a strange man promises you fame, you do not even need to ask his name. You see what Aaron Bells is doing in this poem. I think he's showing us I mean, he's making us laugh, hopefully, but he's also showing us that the things that we lust after, the things we've just got to have, candy, money, glory, fame, we can get these things in very impersonal ways. We can get them, in fact, by using strangers to get what we want. And so his poem along with these Proverbs, poses this question to us, doesn't it? Are we going to live on candy taken from other people? Or will our lives 
be full of rich personal relationships. We've been saying over and over all fall now that Jesus wants us as a church to love one another. And that means, of course, that he does not want us to use one another. So let's look again at these Proverbs today for wisdom about how to do this. And specifically this week, we're asking, what should we do with our sexuality in order to love one another from the heart and not to use one another? And we'll look at it this way. Let's look at two lies, two tries, and two oh mys to live by. Two lies, two tries, and two oh mys to live by. Okay? First, two lies. Two lies. Lie number one from our text is this. Secret and stolen sex are sweeter. Secret and stolen sex are sweeter. Okay, I want you to imagine that you commute to work every day through the city. And that means that every day you see the same two billboards. Do you know what a billboard is? Is that, does that make sense? It's a big advertising on a huge sign, right? I wasn't sure what like the international understood word for billboard is. We call them billboards in America and we have a lot of them. Um, but anyway, uh, think Times Square and there's billboards everywhere, electronic, whatever. So you've got two billboards and you pass them every day. On one of these big signs, you have a, a picture of a barely clothed, very attractive human being, and there's a text with it, and the text says, uh, chapter 9, verse 16, stolen water is sweet. And of course, the subtext, what it's really talking about is not water, the offer is there. It's how about some sex without or with complete consent, but with somebody that you're not married to. It's not yours. You have to steal it. But it's sweet. It's candy. Augustine, uh, fourth century North African bishop, wonderful writer, has his famous confessions. And he spends a long time in the confessions talking about how when he was a boy, he hung out with his guy friends and one night they went and they stole pears out of the orchard of one of their neighbors. And he doesn't understand why he did this. Because the pears weren't that much better than the pears that his own parents had in their orchards. He didn't need them. He wasn't hungry and neither were his friends. They just wanted to do it. And what he realized was the fact that he had to steal them was what made those pears sweet. And so they took their bites of them and they took the rest of them and fed them to nearby pigs and they went on their way laughing, having a good time. Stolen water is sweet. The advertisement up on the sign on the billboard says, steal, take, take someone's husband, someone's wife. 
daughter, mother, someone's son, someone's father. Steal them away. The stealing part is half the fun. That's what the billboard says. And then there's another billboard on the, the building next to it. And the sign here has an, another, another alluring picture on it. And the caption, the text reads, chapter 9, verse 16, food eaten in secret is delicious. But of course, this billboard is not talking about food. The billboard is talking about sexuality. And the message, of course, is what you do in secret is private and it's really nobody else's business. So enjoy yourself. Okay. So now let's imagine you pass those billboards, you look up at them regularly, you see what they say. Now your dad is in town for a weekend and you're walking with him through the city one Sunday afternoon. And you pass by these billboards. And now you've developed kind of a habit of staring at these billboards as you walk past. And dad sees you kind of stare at them a little bit. That's a little awkward. And dad just stops walking. And you look back and you're like, what, dad? Let's go. And dad says, those are stupid advertisements aimed at stupid people selling something stupid and using stupid logic to try to do it. Verse 13, the one calling out knows nothing is simple or foolish. Verse 15, the people they're calling to are fools. Chapter 9, verse 16, the whole thing is deceptive and dad knows it. The billboard says, do it in secret. Steal someone, no one will know. No one will get hurt. But dad says, Verse 17 here, what the advertisements don't tell you is that when you secretly steal someone sexually, you're buying sex and the price is your own life. See what he's saying there? And then finally, if you go down to chapter five, verse 21, dad says, after all, son, there are no secret thefts because the Lord God sees all things. So that's lie number one, that secret and stolen is sweeter. What's lie number two from these billboards? Lie number two is that sex is supremely significant. Supremely significant. Our billboards tell us that sex is just like food and water, verse 16, right? You've got to have it, the implication is, in order to survive. It's necessary. You're thirsty? That's because there's a thing called water. So buy it or steal it, but you better drink it or else you'll die. Are you hungry? Well, there's a thing called food. So eat or die. And like all advertisements today, these billboards are trying to convince us that we don't just need sexual fulfillment in order to survive, but we need it to be who we really are, which these days is almost more important to be able to express who we really are than it is to survive. 
Now, if you are a human being, maybe there are some angels in the room that look like human beings, but if you're a normal human being, then that means that you are a sexual being. You were created that way. But that doesn't mean that you can't live without it. It's not, in that sense, water or food. After all, Jesus fasted for 40 days, right? But then he ate again. But Jesus, fully human and a sexual being, we don't normally think of it like this, but a sexual being, just like us, fasted from sex his entire life. The rabbis, I had to look this up, but the rabbis of the first century typically said the ideal age for a man to get married is 18, and if you can get a wife when she's about 13, great. Jesus is 33 when he dies, and yet he has remained a virgin. And the idea that sexual expression and fulfillment is a fundamental aspect of, of my very identity, that's kind of a new idea in our culture. One writer says this, he says, look, 20 centuries ago, in the life of Jesus, Jesus just isn't as sexualized as we are today. And I think that's exactly right. So there's your two lies, that secret and stolen sex is sweeter, and that sex is supremely significant. So we've heard two lies now. We need to move on to, four, or to two tries. From two lies to two tries. Normally preachers shouldn't say, guys, just try to do what's right. Because we want you to be motivated by God and by your love from the Lord. But as Dallas Willard says, and this is important, that grace and the grace of God is not opposed to effort, but opposed to earning. And so when we're following the Lord Jesus, we say, I'm ready to put in whatever effort I need to put in in order to follow him. So from two lies now to two tries, what ought we to try to do in order to be wise sexually? Here's the two tries. One, I will bless, not possess. Two, I will cheer, not fear. Okay? First, I will bless not possess. In the past couple weeks, I've listened to a couple audiobooks and podcasts, and I've heard the stories of two different Christian men in middle age, and both of them used to be addicted to pornography. One of these men is married and is attracted to the opposite sex, attracted to women. The other is single and celibate, and happens to have attractions almost exclusively for other men. And what they said was so profound to me. One of them said that when he sees, now again, after a life or a long time of being addicted to pornography, he says now that when he sees someone on the street or in his life or in his church that's attractive, but who is not his spouse, he says, he prays, Thank you, Lord, for making this person beautiful. And thank you, Lord, that they are not mine. And the second 
man prays this, Lord, help me not to consume and possess this person who was made in your image. Do you see what both of them realize? Both of them realize, as one author says, that all sexual sin is essentially predatory. You're going to get something that's not yours. And you'll do whatever it takes to have it. It's stolen water that we find sweet when we sin this way. But both of these Christian men realize that the problem is not that there are beautiful people around us. The problem is our desire to take them and consume them as our own possessions. And this is what we do, especially if we buy sex, whether it's prostitution or pornography. In fact, one feminist activist says that pornography is just pictures of prostitution. And another one has simply begun to refer to it as pornstitution because they are pretty much the same thing. We consume people in both of these mediums like they're candy. And when we take someone for ourselves sexually without committing ourselves to them legally and spiritually and financially, then we're doing something very, very similar, aren't we? The film Vanilla Sky I had almost forgotten about it, but I remember seeing it in the theaters. Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz. There's this one intense scene and they're driving through the city and Cameron Diaz is saying to Tom Cruise, don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? And this is exactly why our Sexuality in Christ is not a private matter, but it is a matter that concerns all of us and all of us together. Because if you're consuming bodies made in the image of God in secret, what makes you think that you'll be able to walk into a room with brothers and sisters, with human bodies, and honor them there? When you walk into a room with other people, Christian or not, What we want, what we want so bad is to be able to say with our eyes, with our bodies, with our words, even in the secrecy of our hearts, sister, brother, I don't own you, but I am here to give you my attitudes, my words, and my actions. I'm here to give myself to you as a gift that might enrich your life and help you flourish as a creature who is fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image. My goodness, if we could all walk into every room with other people and think that and want that for them. So we try to bless and not possess. What about the second try? Where are we going to try besides blessing and not possessing? Second thing, I will try to cheer and not fear. Cheer and not fear. So let's go back to dad walking through the street with us again. So after your dad (laughs) boldly and kind of awkwardly exposes the lies on the billboards 
that you're discussing. Then he pauses and he takes a deep breath. And instead of pointing out lies now, he tells you something that's true. Remember, you're a young married son of his. And he says, chapter 5, verse 15, You're a recently married man, son. And the billboard says that sex is like sweet water. And it's not wrong about that. And he says, son, your wife is a cistern, a well of fresh and living water. So drink. And you, son, are for her a fresh spring, a stream of water. So let her drink. And son, you know where the water is sweetest? Your water is sweet to her when you share your spring, verse 16, with her alone. And her water is sweetest to you because her well is open to you and to no one else. You see what dad is doing here. He's being a little modest. He's talking about body parts and sexuality in metaphor. Thanks, dad, for not being too awkward. But then, (laughs) that's nice of him. But then he gets a little bit direct with son, doesn't he? In verse 19, he says, son, let her breasts satisfy you. Get drunk on her love. And then you won't even be responsive to these billboards. The thing is that the Hebrew scriptures are not nearly as embarrassed about these topics as we are. They're just not. It's like dad is quoting Dietrich Bonhoeffer to his son. He's saying, son, of course I want you to avoid sin. But I don't want you to live in fear as a response Bonhoeffer says, being a Christian is less about avoiding sin and more about courageously and actively doing God's will. And so, son, celebrate your wife and let her celebrate you. The best uh, defense is a good offense. The best way to get rid of lies is to make the truth be more real and deep. And friends, in our community, it is all of our job, whether we're single or whether we're married, to support, to cheer on, and even maybe to challenge sometime uh, the married couples in our church. And our job is to cheer and not to fear. So there's two tries to go with our two lies. And the last thing we have then are two omis to live by. By way of review, it's a lie that secret and stolen is sweeter. It's a lie that sex is supremely significant for us. We've got to try to bless and not possess. We've got to try to cheer and not fear. And then what? Two omis. Here's the truth. God doesn't just ask hard things from us. He does. But everything that God asks from us, he also provides 
for us. Look at it this way. If you are unmarried and you want to follow Jesus, even if you don't find fulfillment for your sexual desires, we have an oh my for you to live by. What is it? First, oh my, especially for the unmarried people here. Jesus is still single and sexless. Did Jesus have to walk past these same billboards as we do? You bet he did. And in fact, people think, oh, well, he's God, so these things didn't really bother him. No. Jesus didn't have weaker temptations than us. He experienced temptation more strongly than we ever did. Think about it this way. Temptation is bearing on me. It's intense. I give in. Okay, there's relief. There's no more pressure. But what if that temptation bears on you year after year after year for your entire life? You have experienced more temptation and stronger temptation the longer that you resist it. And Jesus resisted temptation for his entire life. Jesus had his heavenly father's wise counsel all the time, but he didn't have a wife to be satisfied in. And he didn't simply avoid sexual temptation, but he courageously did his father's will. And you know what? He is raised from the dead and glorified, fully God and fully human. And the father has now given him all authority And as a man, even a man with all authority and glorified, he's still single. Jesus is still a man and he has not had sex. If you are single and you're sexually broken, and all of us are sexually broken, then you don't just have a savior from your sexual brokenness and sin. You have a single savior who still knows what it's like to experience fullness of life in human flesh and without sex. And he's doing okay. He's doing more than okay. This is an oh my that you can live by, unmarried people, because... You're forgiven in him, and your single life is hidden in him, in glory. Live your life, therefore, with the life of Jesus energizing you in your singleness as you courageously fulfill God's purposes. There's unmarried people, and oh my, that you can live by in Jesus Christ. Second oh my to live by. Jesus' love is stronger than sex. Now, uh, if you're embarrassed, not just because we read these Proverbs, but now because we're talking about them, you're not going to want to read the Bible book, The Song of Solomon. Because in that book, after exploring the highs and lows of broken but beautiful married sexuality, That song concludes, love is stronger than death. And I think that it means love 
in a full sense, but it definitely also means love as they've been talking about it there, sensual and sexual love between husband and wife, stronger than death. But married people, you are broken sexually like all of us are. And you might be able to experience substantial healing of that brokenness in the context of your marriage. You might be able to. By God's grace, you can. But even if that does not happen for you and for your marriage, I want you to hear this. Sexual love, Song of Solomon says, is stronger than death. But Jesus' love is stronger than sex. Jesus was and is, like we said, single. But the other thing is also true. He was and is engaged. We, the church, are Jesus' bride-to-be. And when Jesus walked past these billboards, as he had to, he didn't look up at them and think, sex is no big deal, it's not important to me. But instead he said, sex is good, in fact, I invented it and created it. But my desires are infinitely more intense than sex could ever satisfy. And so to satisfy his deeper desire to be one with the church. He didn't just give up sex, but he gave up his very life. Jesus has given, and he still gives everything to us. And we, the church, turn and we give him everything in return. We are one with him, and we're becoming one with him, and we will be one day, finally, gloriously, one with him. And the joy of our oneness, we, the church, and Jesus, our bridegroom, will go on forever and ever, and it will produce more and more joy, so much joy that we might chuckle to think that somebody thought sex was the most important thing in the world. Proverbs 5.21 says, as we've already said, that the eyes of the Lord are always on us. And that's meant to deter us from doing something that would harm one another and sin against the Lord. But it's also this. In Christ, God's eyes are always on us. Body, soul, and spirit. And what are the eyes of the Lord Jesus doing as they are on us as his bride together? Well, he's watching us grow more deeply committed to, his, to himself until finally we are ready to say together as the church, Lord Jesus, perfect bridegroom, we, your bride, are willing to give up absolutely anything to enjoy full communion with you because, Lord Jesus, you have given up absolutely everything to enjoy full communion with us. Father, may the love of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who gave himself completely to you and 
completely to us. Grab a hold of our hearts and our lives. And may his love compel us to give ourselves to him and to you. And to one another in real, genuine love. Both now and forevermore. Amen.